The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and it's Wednesday. Uh, we're coming to you live from many different locations. I'm in my house. Dr. Grant Pichet is in her house. Traven, our producer, is in his house. And this is how we're doing that social distancing, but keep it on, keep it on. Uh, anyway, we're excited to be here with you. We're going to be live for the next hour on Wednesday. It is Ask Dr. Doreen. And that is when and my iPad has gone completely crazy. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> is when we have the wonderful Dr. Doreen Grampiche and she answers your questions in real time. For those of you who don't know Dr. Grampiche, she is a true expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in this field in our time, and there is no other time in, uh, the, in autism years than now. This is uh, an interesting time. We all have to admit that things have changed a lot in the last month. And of course, when things change for the world, it changes for our autism community. I wanna say really quickly, there are lots of ways to connect with us here during this hour for you to ask your question. You can be writing into us right now on YouTube, on Periscope, on Twitter, on Facebook, and this show will podcast to all of those places later on, plus iTunes, where you can get the just the audio if you wanna take us walking or uh, you can get the audio and sound if you would like. We're also on iHeartRadio, Deezer, and I'm forgetting one. I always, oh, Spotify. We're on Spotify, folks. So uh, it's free in all of those places. We hope that you'll participate. But our favorite place for you to connect with us is at autism-live.com. That is our homepage. That is where you will find so many resources. First of all, and I guess Traven's going to show you so you can have a visual of all these places that we are. Great. Thank you, Traven. Uh, autism-live.com is the homepage, um, and it has our entire library of videos right there, and you can search them in multiple different ways, so that even if what we're talking about right now on the live show isn't what you need to know, uh, you can search and find other things. Uh, we have playlists that are there. So if you like just a certain kind of genre, like you want to just watch uh, Ask Dr. Doreen's and you want to search just Ask Dr. Doreen's, you can, there's a playlist that is just for her. If you're really wild about Temple Grandin, we have a playlist for her. If you want recipes, we have them there. And I got to tell you, we have a new playlist on our homepage uh, and on our YouTube page, and that is Card Heroes. So please check that out because we had such a great time last week meeting all these amazing people that card that are continuing to bring services to people and make us really excited. You know, and Dr. Grampy, I'm leaving you out of this. Welcome to be with us. And I'm excited. <laughs> Sorry. I said, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Shannon. I assure you, it is all our pleasure. Uh, but we hope that you guys are tuning in in ever, whatever way works for you and writing in whatever way works for you. If you don't know, let me tell you right now that our favorite part, I think I can speak for both Dr. Grampiche and myself, is when you interact with us. So please interact in any of the ways that you choose. And I want to remind you that there is a chat on um, our homepage where you can chat. And I just want to give people, because people got a little frustrated the other day, uh, Dr. Grampiche, they were like, you are not, you know, uh, answering all of the questions. Wow. I just want you to know that we try our level, level best. But remember, if you're on Facebook, you're only seeing the questions on Facebook, where we're getting the questions on Facebook and YouTube and uh, Periscope and so on and so forth. And then on the live feature, I have a separate screen right here 
that shows me who's asking questions on the live feature. So please be patient, know that we love you and we hear you and we want to answer your questions. And I do try after the show is over to go back and I'm days behind. I'm just keeping it real and keeping it honest. I'm days behind, but I do try to go back um, and catch up with questions and ask you guys more questions and encourage you to write in here. It's okay to ask your question more than once, right? Um, and I apologize because we're doing the level best we can to help you guys right now in real time, okay? And Dr. Graham Pichet is here to be able to do that too. So Dr. Graham Pichet, let's start with uh, a question that I, because you know we, we were talking just before we came live about this amazing um, new, new thing that's happening in ABA because a couple of months ago, none of us would ever conceive of doing telehealth therapy. But now it is the, the fastest growing, hugest help that we have for families right now. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I want to talk about it because I know that there are families who are trepidatious. But what I am seeing very clearly is when a family is like, you, we put out the challenge last week and said, just try it. Just try it. Just try it once. See what it does for you. And we have yet to have a single family say, I tried it, it was not the thing for me. In fact, it's been quite the opposite response. People have said, oh my gosh, this is so amazing because not only is my child, you know, maintaining their skills and in some cases making, you know, great strides, but that the parent is learning things that they've always wanted to know how to do with their kids. So it's very empowering for parents. We want to say that. And we had a question, <laughs> I think this is, this is the irony of, of where we're at. Somebody wants to know, is telehealth going to stop when the quarantine stops or can we choose to have some hours telehealth because they're liking it so much? And I want to know from you, Dr. Grampiche, where, where are you on the whole of telehealth? I, I love that uh, uh, people are actually asking for it now. That's terrific. I, uh, it all depends on what the payers allow us to do. Um, obviously, so, you know, from a clinical perspective, telehealth supervision and parent training is just as good as in-person, honestly. Um, uh, the telehealth therapy will be somewhat limited, although not really limited. For a lot of kids, it'll work just great. For some kids uh, or adults who need more direct contact, it's not going to be uh, the same as having face-to-face. -face. Now, the question, that's the clinical side of it. Um, the, in terms of the payers, some payers prior to COVID-19, some of the insurance companies used to allow supervision and parent training through telehealth. Not all, some did. Um, I expect those who did will go back to allowing it. So that will, will just the way things were. So we will continue in those cases if the families want telehealth. Um, the, by none of the payers, none of the insurance companies allowed telehealth therapy just because it was never done before and it, it didn't occur to them that it would possibly work. So um, there a lot of different people, organizations right now, Shannon, are publishing or, um, about telehealth. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a call for publications from many different resources. And so there's a lot coming out in terms of the effectiveness of telehealth, ABA, and um, it really just depends on whether or not all of that research, published research, will be effective in convincing the payers to allow us to continue doing some telehealth therapy. Um, if it is effective, certainly we will open that up for our families to decide together with their BCBAs. I don't think, I think if, if even if it is allowed, it'll probably, we will probably do a combined uh, kind of program where some of the program is done via telehealth and some of it is done in person. Um, and it just really depends on whether or not between now and, you know, when we go back to center-based services, the payers are convinced to continue allowing this. I honestly, as many viewers know, uh, we were really never able to convince some payers, for example, TRICARE, 
to allow telehealth therapy. So uh, for those uh, folks who are insured by TRICARE, we're only able to provide supervision and, and parent training right now. Yeah, I, you know, I keep saying to all of us, myself first, you know, stay in this moment, stay in this moment, do what you can in this moment. Don't stress about everything that happened before. Don't stress about everything that might stay in this moment. And in this moment, the most of the funders, a lot of the funders are, well, all of them are paying for telehealth for supervision, correct? That's across yeah. the board. No, uh, yes, actually, I will say almost all. There's still a couple holding out, but yes, almost okay. all. Okay, so if you are someone who was having ABA services, you know, you like be calling your BCBA, get what you can so that you can at least be having consultation on what's happening. I don't want families sitting at home and going, there's nothing we can do. But um, a lot of, as you said, a lot of the um, insurance companies are also paying now for telehealth therapy. That's and the right. biggest and the biggest roadblock right now is us, the parents. We're scared. We're understandably scared. I'm giving you all a whoopee. I'm giving you a hug and a whoopee because I understand your fear. Um, but this is not the time to be afraid because afraid is when we get paralyzed. And I used to do a talk, The Amazing Paralyzed Woman. I'm very well aware of it. Like sometimes you get stuck but we all need to get off that bubble and, and I'm, I'm doing it again. I'm doing the challenge to everybody who's out there. I challenge you to try one telehealth therapy and then you can call me up. I'll even leave my phone number here. You can call me up and yell at me, but nobody's going to call up and yell at me. I think you're going to be going, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I, you know, you put, if I had a nickel for every time a parent said to me, Shannon, I'm so glad you pushed me. I could pay for my son to go to college. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm pushing you. I'm yeah. pushing you. Now, uh, we've got two separate questions here that are, I think, kind of in, uh, interrelated. The first one is, I'm concerned about my three and a half year old grandson since his in-home ABA services were discontinued during the present health crisis. I am thinking of the possibility of moving in for a while and what are your thoughts? And then um, the secondary question, and I think that these have a little bit to do with each other. Uh, somebody asked the question, can I start at card now? I watched the heroes last week in my house with my three-year-old who was getting therapy from another company, but it all stopped with the quarantine. My therapists were never like the ones I saw you interview. Where do I sign up? Um, so I think there's some overlap there uh, for things that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, wherever, whenever possible, uh, we should do whatever we can so that our kids' programs are not uh, discontinued or interrupted. Because, uh, as as all of our viewers know, our kids depend on on the consistency of the program. Um, as I've said many times, I think during this time frame where there's a lot of fear. Uh, the parents, the, the children depend on the familiarity of their therapists and their routines and those types of things really calm them down and help them maintain their skills. So, um, you know, all of the research points to the fact that with autism, it's very important when you're in a, a program not to discontinue. Even uh, we are usually outside of this whole COVID-19 thing, we're, we're always concerned when families go for lengthy holidays, for instance, and the child comes back and there's a, a certain level of regression of skills, which basically means the child has forgotten some things because they were not fluent in it. And so then we have to go back and kind of just like refresh those things. It's not a massive thing. It's not, you know, life or death, but it is important because we're wasting time and uh, reteaching things that could have, by, by, you know, been maintained. So right now, uh, during this two month period, I got at the very beginning of, of March, when we started to move into telehealth, uh, the instruction we gave to people at CARD was kind of, let's make sure that we take advantage of this period of time and let's do some of the things that we usually don't have a lot of time to do. For instance, maintenance, which means focusing on maintaining a lot of the skills that are kind of not always practiced uh, because we're doing acquisition, we're doing new skills. 
uh, generalization, which means uh, doing activities that involve the home so that the child is using a lot of their skills in the home. And finally, of course, parent training, which is our opportunity to, to provide more training to our families. So those are the things that are pretty easy to do right now during this phase. And I think are the things we should all be focused on because everybody knows, you know, when, when we're back to work, physical work, it just, none of the parents have time. It becomes really, really hard for us to do parent training. Uh, we don't have as much access to your home. It, all, all kinds of stuff become a little bit more difficult. So to answer the first question, you know, I, this, I know all of our resources are, are limited, right? Everybody's resources are limited, but if you can do some work with the child yourself, uh, certainly IBT, Institute for Behavior Training, provides all the training for you. Uh, skills, we built skills for parents who did not have access to ABA providers. So using IBT and skills, the whole concept when I built those was I want to empower parents who don't have access to providers to be able to do this kind of therapy themselves. So yes, certainly a lot of parents who, if, you're, if you don't have an ABA provider who's giving you any kind of service right now, you can certainly try to do as much of it as you can yourself. Having said that, yes, we are taking patients. In fact, we have a lot of intakes right now uh, for in our admissions department. And um, we're very proud of our therapists. Thank you very much for recognizing that they're special people. Uh, they really, really are. And um, it is incredible. I mean, I, not only we try our best to take care of them uh, as much as we can, both financially and from a support perspective and mentorship and training and continuing education and guidance and so on. But all that aside, it takes a really special person uh, during this time where everyone is afraid and concerned and focused on their own issues uh, to be to be focused on, on, on someone else, you know? And so like the whole thing about these amazing heroes is that every single day they don't worry about themselves, they worry about your children. And I love that. And I think that that is what we're all about is uh, giving back, helping others, making sure that you're focused on, on what you can do to make the world better. So yeah, we'd love to have you join us at CARD. Um, and hopefully soon uh, we will even be back in our centers and operating under normal conditions. But you know, Shannon, again, for the parent who doesn't have face-to-face -face therapy, you should be asking whoever your provider is whether or not they provide telehealth. Now, I know that a lot of other providers have not really started to provide telehealth therapy. I'm not sure if they just don't have the ability to uh, modify programs in order to do that. I don't know why they're not, but uh, you know, you should ask anyway and see if they can do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to acknowledge card that um, it, it it's it's like a factory having to retool. You know, I, I love watching these like that uh, the Coors factory decided that they were going to stop making beer and that they were going to put out hand sanitizer. And that wasn't a five second change. Like they had to stop and think, okay, how would we make hand sanitizer? How right. can we be of service here? And what I found amazing was in the first weeks of, of this all starting to happen is that CARD took their biggest and brightest, uh, you know, clinicians and including you and everybody like powwowed. And I saw people move mountains and create content and training and train a staff of people in how to do telehealth. It was something beautiful to behold. Um, so, and now there, it's all coming to fruition and you saw some of those amazing people. So I love that uh, Angel wrote in and said, cause I, you know, I got on my soapbox a little bit and said, I'm pushing you. And she said, I needed that, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging. Cause sometimes we all need that, that swift kick, right? To get us moving. Uh, okay, Johanny wants to know, how do we get the free daily classes on IBT? And I have the skinny on this right, uh, <laughs> right now. If you go to ibehavioraltraining.com and you want to go uh, in the top, uh, they have the, the, uh, the part where it says community. Um, so you click on that. Then you go from there to parents, get to the parent page. 
and scroll down and see all of the parent trainings. This week, every week they have a different set of trainings that they're offering for free. This week it is the challenging behavior section at home, challenging behavior at home. So you take the, any of those trainings that are on the subheading there and you put it in the cart. Then there is a code that you need to put in and that code is case sensitive and you need to be all capitals COVID, C-O-V-I-D hyphen 19. If that works correctly, then your cart will zero out and those trainings will be free for you. If it does not work for you, back up for a second, make sure that you are in the right area because this week only, it is for the challenging behavior section. And if you have further difficulties, you can either reach out to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com or you can reach directly out to the folks at IBT. Uh, and there, there's a how do we contact right there on their page. But uh, the people who are doing these uh, trainings are just loving them and saying that they're super duper helpful. Uh, thank you so much. And I do want to say uh, that too, for that grandma who was asking about, you know, helping, um, that if, if she decides to go and move there, as you were saying, that's the same place, ibehavioraltraining.com. You can go and find more than just the challenging behavior and we can all get up to speed on the things that we do to help our kiddos. It is scary. I talk often to therapists about how scary it is for a parent, <laughs> you know, that we look at them, Dr. Grampuchet, and they are all younger and prettier than we are. And it appears that the therapists are magic with our kids. It's very intimidating. And I know for me as a mom, when uh, Jem started getting therapy, I was so thrilled and relieved that therapists were coming, but I was also intimidated because he would do things for them that he wouldn't do for me. And I had the best of the best of the best uh, because I had card therapists. So they helped me to not escape with my fear. They helped me to learn uh, to do what they were doing in small increments so that I was empowered so that I would eventually I was like, okay, now you got to teach me everything, you know, because now I know what your magic is. Now I got to know everything that, you know, and I remember the day that my husband came home from work and was a little verklempt and almost in tears. And he said, I don't get it. You know, why, when um, charity says to him, you know, come here, he comes and it's no big deal. And how come when you say, you know, uh, you know, it, it's time to clean up, he automatically does it. But when I talk to him, he breezes right past me. This is my three-year-old, right? And my husband yeah. was emotional. And I said to him, you know, you better learn this, right? Not my best uh, spouse moment. But I went to my supervisor and said, how do we help him? And she said, okay, we're going to do some more. Uh, at the time, we called it parent training. Now we call it caregiver collaboration. But she did one-on-one -on -one with him to help him. And that's also available to parents as well right now, that caregiver collaboration. And it's, a, it's available via telehealth. Uh, so I want to just encourage people, you know, it's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to just stop. This is not the time for stopping. In fact, Shannon, I think one of the questions from today I noticed had to do with a parent. With, do you have the one that starts with help? I'm yes. Yeah. Let me read you that one. Thank you. Help. I Help, I'm getting therapy for my son during the quarantine, both in the home and telehealth. Therapy is going well, but when therapy is over, he unleashes all of his frustration on me. He hits me, no one else. I'm exhausted and demoralized. I don't want to stop therapy, but I can't do this much longer. There is no end in sight and I get no break. And we just want to send a hug to that caregiver. Absolutely. I don't want to assume it's mom. And the reason that I brought that up is because it just is very similar to what you were talking about. A lot of times uh, our children will act out with us only. Um, and I know you have a lot of stories about that as well. And I, I just want to say that it, it, please don't give up. This has nothing to do with the therapy that's occurring. In fact, if you stop the therapy, uh, there will be another reason the next day where he will lash out at you again. 
so it's not about the therapy. It's about the fact that he's not able to express himself verbally or and or gets attention from you, negative attention possibly in, in some way or another, and or has just learned that this is a behavior that gets him access to something he wants. So uh, please do not stop the therapy. What I ask of you to do is to discuss this with your supervisor immediately and to ask them to do a variety of things. One is to spend some time with you uh, maybe observing this happen, it's, you can easily make this uh, make the supervisor switch on uh, to Zoom uh, when the therapy session is over so that they can actually see this happening. They can help identify the function of the behavior, um, which means why is the child doing it? What is maintaining the behavior? What is instigating it? And then supervisor will tell you exactly how to change uh, your behavior, your response, um, the circumstances in the room, all of that, so that this behavior doesn't occur. Um, and they will show you how to prevent this from happening in all different types of circumstances. So please do that. I also want to say that uh, a lot of our supervisors and assistant supervisors are coming to the homes still. So uh, we are happy to also show that. But I mean, I think it's one of those situations where it's great because your supervisor can be on screen and actually see what's going on. Uh, it's so hard um, when you're getting hit. Oh, and, yeah. And it's, it's, it's it, and, and it's, I think there's a special ring of hell that is just for when you're the only one being hit. Oh, yeah. um, because it, you begin to feel upside down. You begin to feel like, well, it's clearly me. Yeah. Um, so I must be doing something really, really wrong, right. um, which is the upside down of that, right? It, 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 you don't have eyes in the back of your head. So you don't have the ability to see 360, right? Uh, as much as we think when we birth a child that we're going to be given the knowledge of everything and the ability to see 360, it doesn't work that way. And, and I know that for me and many other parents report that you get so upside down that, and you get worried that you don't want to tell people because you don't want people to think your child is a, mo a monster. You don't want them to judge you or the child. So we start to keep things secret sometimes that's upside down. And then sometimes it can get so bad that we feel like maybe we deserve it and that it's something that just needs to happen. And it's our way of like, you know, letting our child be, you know, the, we're our child's punching bag and that maybe they need that. That's all upside down. And, and you guys can hear me say that and you know that for yourself, but I can tell you that when you're in it, sometimes that sounds perfect, perfectly rational. And if there's anybody who's listening that feels like, yep, that's where I am. Today's the day you got to reach out for help um, and, and get help in whatever way that it can. I realize it's, you know, diff more difficult than usual, but get help. You say that you're doing telehealth, which means that you've got a supervisor. Um, and as Dr. Grampy Shea said, just reach out and, and say, yeah. you know, just I what mean, you yeah. said there. And, and Shannon, I've also heard from parents, uh, uh that they, there's a lot of uh, guilt associated with it as well because they feel they get angry, right? And it's a very, very normal reaction to get angry when someone is hitting you. It doesn't matter if it's your child or whatever else. It, you, it is a very normal reaction to get angry. Um, and that I think is one of the predominant things that I hear from parents is that I got angry at him and I, I feel really a lot of shame and embarrassment about that and guilt. And that kind of stuff is where, you know, I really just want to uh, empower the parents and, and teach them uh, what they can do so that they can remain in control and you never ever will get angry again and you'll therefore never ever feel that that guilt or shame from it as well that that's really important yeah i've been there done that um and it is the thing i think that most parents the guilt that they carry that in a, we're all told well i'm the adult and he's the child and i should be able to well yes but um that's let's fix the problem 
and then heal ourselves and move on because it can be much better than it is right now. Uh, and several people are writing in and saying that they're sending you hugs uh, and love to that caregiver because you need all the support in the world. And I think a lot of us have been where in some semblance of where you are, just not maybe in this emergency. So I'm, I'm glad that you're still reaching out and not hiding. And um, hopefully your supervisor is gonna be able to help you a lot. I also wanna cycle back to the thing about the um, iBehavioral training that you, I'm told that you can take any of the ones in that section that's challenging behavior, you can take absolutely any of them, fill your cart, if you've got all the right ones, it'll zero out. If you don't, if it's not zeroing out, out go back and take you know, like process. But it's under the heading of challenging behavior. And I have had parents confirm for me that it was working. Okay, Dr. Grampichet, uh, next question. I have a six-year-old, uh, have been following ABA since he was two. He has made great strides. Only thing he's not able to catch up with is language fluency. With him uh, now more able to tell me I think he has aphasia, which is choosing right words and good language. How can help him? How can we help him in, in, with this in terms of ABA? He gets frustrated easily, not able to put across his point. Also, this is a big turnoff for social skills and peer relations. Yep, great question. And what yeah. a very, very uh, involved and, and observant parent, wonderful. So I would suggest if this was a child that I was treating, I would suggest using visuals um, as an organization system for him. Um, and let me back up a little bit and explain what I mean. So we uh, often are, um, when we learn things, when you're learning language at a typical uh, level or, or rate, um, you have the opportunity as a child to classify things in your brain in a way that retrieval is, is organized and it's possible. So, for example, you learn, uh, I don't know, let's say labels of objects, right? And they're in the form of what we call mands or requests first. And that is usually what happens when you're very young. Uh, one, two years old, and these are like juice, mommy, boy, out whatever those types of things. And then gradually you'll learn, let's say actions and you'll start saying things like want this or running or whatever it is. And then you'll start to put sentences together, words together, and then you'll start like making those sentences a little bit more descriptive by putting in descriptors like big truck or colors or so on and so forth. And that's a normal process that occurs that every time you learn something over a period of time, it's organized in a, in a place so that next time when you want to think about, oh, what kind of truck was that big or uh, the adjectives that describe it can readily be retrieved. Um, and it's only because when you learn them, you learn them in a, in a sequence. Uh, and so it was easy to kind of categorize them like a library. In other words, you had time to place them in a library that has a really good system of, of classification, okay? With our kids, they learn tons and tons of stuff in a very, very short period of time. So it's not as organized. Think of a library that doesn't have a classification system. So there's thousands of uh, objects and actions and whatever else in there, but they're not connected to each other and organized in a way where retrieval is easy. So one of the uh, ways that I found is very helpful for our kids who can't put their thoughts into vocalization or verbalization well is writing or keyboarding. So if your child can either write or teach him to type, uh, any kind of written material allows us to organize much, much better. So uh, you know, depending on the functioning level of your child, I would either give him a lot of uh, cutout words and have them put it in sequence, or I would use an actual computer and teach him to write things, move words around. Um, and that will really, really help him figure out how to organize his thoughts before they come out. 
Um, you might also want to color code the words. One of the things that we do, there's a lot of programs like this in skills. Uh, we color code things. So like, for instance, depending on what his issue is, sometimes we will put in like, okay, all the verbs are in red, all the adjectives are in green. Something that allows the child to kind of pull from a series of, let's say, here's a bunch of like uh, subjects and here's a bunch of uh, verbs and here's a bunch of direct objects and now I'm going to pull them and make a sentence. And that kind of activity really just helps the child become a lot more fluent in their thinking. The more they can develop and design sentences in writing, the faster their thinking will be and it'll translate to uh, more fluent vocalization. Now, that aside, you can also just be practicing uh, fluency. And fluency is uh, seen. So a lot of the fluency lessons that we do are timed. So you should start with something very, very easy so that it is rewarding. You do not want your child failing. Um, and uh, maybe just, you know, uh, labels of objects or three word descriptors of it is um, try, it is car, is whatever. Make it a little bit longer, like, what is this? It's a red truck. Well, what size is it? That kind of stuff, like very basic stuff until you get to more advanced language. But time the response. Try to get a baseline, figure out how long it takes for your child to respond, um, and then try to speed that up. Now, that's the second idea. The third thing I want you to pay attention to is sometimes with our kids, they have a hard time with verbalizing something because their mind is distracted. Not because it's a fluency issue, but because their mind is somewhere else. If that's the case, then it's a whole different procedure because then we're talking about distractibility. So, um, you know, make sure that this is a fluency issue. And if it is, that those were some of the ways that you can help improve it. Coming back to you. Uh, I, I also want to toss in here because we had a question that came in in the night of, you know, I'm always asking people, what do you need? What, what would help you? What, what kinds of things do you want us to cover? What topics are you interested in? Somebody had written in and said uh, that they're requesting to highlight biomedical intervention and in autism spectrum disorders. And I know that this is a particular area that we really want to be talking more about. And I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that. But since this person asked this question, my question to you, me not being a doctor and not being a biomedical expert, but um, a lot of parents have talked about when they pair good ABA with, with some kids, not all kids, with methyl B12 shots, and that the language goes um, when that happens for some kids. I wanna make sure that I put asterisk here because it's not for everybody and obviously I'm not a doctor. Um, but um, is that potentially something that they want to take a look at? Sure. I mean, uh, so yes, I'm very pro biomedical interventions. I have been very involved with biomedical interventions. I'm, as you know, developing a lot of training for our uh, BCBAs at CART so that they can always uh, understand and assist the parents when they're carrying out biomedical or dietary interventions. So first, let's start with that because a lot of ABA folks are not pro-biomedical. I'm not one of those people. Um, that being said, like everything else, it's just very, very important that we individualize the intervention to the child. Um, even with ABA, I mean, if you look at it, there's no way I'm doing the same program with two kids, right? So that's the biggest part of treating kids with autism or individuals on the autism spectrum is recognizing how different they each are from each other and making the intervention fit the individual. So with biomedical intervention, as you said, Shannon, some people respond to the methyl B12 shots, others do not at all. And let me tell you, it's not an easy protocol. Um, it is multiple shots a day and that's pretty difficult to do. So um, I really would recommend that you don't start with testing out those types of things. Fortunately with biomedical, you can do a variety of assessments, evaluations, blood tests, urine tests, uh, uh, stool tests, 
uh, all kinds of assessments that will help you identify exactly what the issue is. Yes, if your child is a low methylator, the methyl B12 might help. You, we, you need to see a physician who is uh, an expert in this area. Uh, right now, a lot of the folks who are doing these types of interventions are involved, are part of an organization called MAPS. Um, so you can look up the MAPS doctors or MAPS trained doctors. These are the folks that used to be called DAN trained. The organization just changed. And essentially, um, you want to make sure that they're trained to be able to do the assessments and identify exactly what your child needs. Could, there's a variety of things that make a big difference in, in language. Some kids uh, do very well on antifungal medications. Other kids just need various diets so that they are uh, not exposed to the things that are acting like allergens in their system. I mean, there's so more than I could list here. Um, there's very useful medications for some of our kids. Uh, sometimes with our kids, it's just a matter of going, doing treatment to reduce the gastrointestinal inflammation. So then they feel better. So then they learn better. Sometimes it's a matter of dealing with kids who don't sleep. So their sleep improves, then they learn better. It's, it's, it's just, you know, treating the whole person has to do with figuring out what are the things that make this child uncomfortable? Uh, what are the things that are hurting? What are the things that, that distract the child? How do I allow the child? How do, what do I have to do to help my child pay better attention and focus? And then the ABA comes in and, and is more effective because then we can teach the child more readily. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I love this next question. Are there executive fun function classes for parents and also classes for kids? I'm undiagnosed, but I'm 1000% that I'm on the autism spectrum. My kids just became diagnosed a few months ago. I just, I, I love this. I, I love this parent who's saying, okay, I, 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 now my, I've got the diagnosis for my kids, but I a thousand percent see this in myself. And that's fairly common. We've had a lot of people on the show that didn't get their diagnosis until after their kids did. And I love that you have something great for this parent. Well, I mean, I, I fully agree that uh, it's funny because when we were writing a lot of the lessons for executive functions, we all kind of felt like, oh, that would be great practice for me. Um, a lot of these uh, lessons in executive functions have to do with things like, you know, being better at seeing other people's perspective, being able to have uh, uh, what we call cognitive fluency or ability to go back and forth between two things, two cognitive concepts. There's lots of stuff there that is useful. We do have a ton of ideas and lessons on skills in the executive function uh, curriculum, it's, you know, go through those first. I would start there because some of those might just be great exercises for you and for your child, obviously. Uh, don't be, uh, uh, don't stop because you think there's an age limit on those. There, it, there isn't an age limit on those. There's, if you go also online, there's hundreds of activities just for executive functions because there's a lot of tests, psychological tests that were made for this purpose alone. Um, for example, there's a test that takes you back and forth between numbers and colors. It's called the Stroop test. There's a lot of, and when you look at these tests, they all, uh, you can practice the activity in the test and your executive functions will actually speed up as well. Were you thinking of something else, Shannon? Oh, I was totally thinking of skills. Because um, I remember when um, I first got to look at skills and I, I was just trying to learn everything that I could about skills, right? And so I found myself being drawn to the executive functions curriculum and I found myself just reading through the lessons. Oh, and, and part of the reason why I was reading through the lessons, I was like, ooh, I don't, I need to be better at this. <laughs> Right. And then I go on to the like, so there's this skill and then it builds onto this and I go, oh, that's where it falls apart for me. And then I would think, oh, you know what this is, that executive functions curriculum? It's like the best personal coach that we all need to be successful in our lives. 
Yeah. It's because, you know, we're all, you know, in order to be successful with the things that we want to do, it's like, well, first I got to do this and then I got to do this and then I got to see if it's working and then I got to change the direction because it's not working. And then I got to do this. I mean, think about it. That's every day for all of us. Right. And this COVID thing, it's a new executive function hurdle. Right. And we need to be doing all of these things to check in. And if like you might be somebody who's great at executing, but planning is not your thing. And then it all like you might have this great thing that you could do, but it didn't get planned, so it didn't happen. Or you could be a great planner, but you can't execute. Or you've got all those pieces, but you don't know how to fix a problem when it comes up, recognize it and go, this isn't working. And, and I just loved that executive function curriculum. Um, and and I, you know, I would read a different like thing every day and get really excited. And I feel like I'm a better person for having read through it not even done the exercises, just a better person for having read through it. And I think I'm a better parent for having read through it. And that's without even doing anything but reading. So I get excited about the executive functions curriculum and skills. I think, absolutely. and you know, I used to teach seventh grade um, and seventh grade is like, whoo, a very scary time. Uh, it's that period of time in which the kids, their bodies are changing and they, their bot, their brain isn't catching up with it. And they don't, they really don't understand how often they have to bathe and they don't understand how they have to talk with other people. It's a really pivotal year. And often when I was teaching seventh grade, I would have to stop what I was supposed to be teaching and teach life things. And I remember reading that executive function curriculum and thinking if every seventh grader in the world had access to this, our world would be a better place. We would have happier people. They would you know, perform better in high school, be more prepared for college, be more prepared for the real world. So yeah, I get a little excited about the executive functions curriculum. And I think it's gonna be really exciting for that parent for themselves and to think about it with their kiddos. And for those of you who are thinking, oh, well, you know, it's this thing that's just for adults. It isn't because there are things that are appropriate in there for a two and a half year old. Yeah. I mean, the first um, actual overt act of executive function starts around nine months. Um, and that is when it's, it's joint attention. So this is when you look at when the infant uh, you've seen, let's say an infant is in the mother's lap, nursing perhaps, and the infant will look at the mother's eyes and will track where the mother's eyes are looking. And that is the first uh, overt behavior that indicates <clears throat> the infant is looking and, and wondering, what are you looking at? And then they will track it. And that is uh, what we classify as theory of mind. Theory of mind is a precursor to joint attention. Um, and then the second act, Shannon, which is very important for our uh, kids is pointing. And pointing of course happens around age one or nine months to 12 months. And that is the phase where the it's the reverse joint attention, right? So you're, you don't know what I want, but I'm going to point to it. And as you know, a lot of times that skill does not develop in kids with autism because of the theory of mind deficit where they think you know everything that's in their mind. And so, uh, you know, the, it, it starts a very, very early on and it does go through the lifetime. It makes me emotional because you know what I call that whole area of skills? I, I call it the Disneyland factor because mm -hmm. I could never quite put my finger on what was going on with my son, you know? Um, Cause in the beginning, my son had language. Eventually he lost all of his language. But I remember us taking him to Disneyland when he was like two, right before he got diagnosed. And I was like, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, what, what is it that's different with my child? And I, I didn't want to use the word wrong. I still don't want to use the word wrong, but there was something that wasn't happening. There was something that was missing and I couldn't put my finger on it. And it was exactly this. And to this day, when we go to Disneyland and I love to go to Disneyland at some point that my husband and son will get on a ride. I can't ride because I get sick on the tram, <laughs> right? I can't do the merry-go-round. So I'll sit there and I'll people watch and there's always the mom or the dad walking with the little kid and they're engaged in this. 
where the, the mom will look and see the star trooper and she'll have a reaction and the child looks at the star trooper too. And then they look at each other and they're like, oh, you know, it's the star trooper. Or then the child points and goes, you know, they don't have the words, but they go, you know, cause it's goofy over there. And mom looks and goes, it's goofy and looks at the child and the child grins at the mom. That's right. what I didn't have. Yeah, that was yeah. the thing I didn't have. Right. Um, and it's so great the way you just described it because it shows the amount of social connection that that ability produces, you know, and it's so important. And, you know, um, that, that thing, if you like pull that out of the equation, it's what I had, which was not nothing. Um, but I can tell everybody as a parent that when we started working with Card right after his third birthday and Card started building that in, um, that it was about a week and a half after we started with card that we got to go to a Dodger game. And, um, and I was terrified because I couldn't walk down the sidewalk with him. He wouldn't hold my hand. And I thought, Oh, we're going to go to Dodger stadium. And what is this going to be? And he's not going to attend to the baseball thing, but card had already started working with that and, and a week and a half in, right. So it wasn't vastly different, but it was enough different that we got to enjoy being there with him. And that there were moments of that joint attention and it, and it filled me with hope to where I thought, okay, we, we might come out of this. Okay. And let me just tell you, spoiler alert, we did. Um, now I can go everywhere in the world with him and he, you know, yaks at me and tells me how the world is and how it should be. And, you know, how he's going to make it that way. And isn't my life luscious because of it, but it all started with me not knowing if we were ever going to have Okay, so uh, next question here. Somebody said, what should we do for visual stimming or self-stimulatory behavior? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's just so many different types of visual self-stimulatory behavior that unfortunately I can't really give you too much guidance about what to do in your particular case, except for just in general, any kind of visual self-stimulatory, any kind of self-stimulatory behavior tends to take away from the child's ability to pay attention to the things that are important for learning. So the, the reason that we try to control limits or eliminate altogether self-stimulatory behavior is because when the child is engaged in that behavior, they're not learning from anything else. They're not observing anything else. So oftentimes with visual, um, there's so many different kinds of visual. There are kids who will do various things in front of their eyes in order to be able to look at the tracking of it. There are kids who will look at things from the corner of their eyes and that's a whole different issue of, of their retina and how that works. There are kids who will be looking at shadows. Uh, they will be looking at lines that are on objects or they're not even lines, but they see certain things as lines in their environment. So bottom line is um, you need to identify what it is that the child is seeking out in terms of um, self-stimulation or calming. I always found that the fact that we call it self-stimulatory is a little weird because in my mind, a lot of the self-stimulatory behaviors are actually self-calming, self-soothing behaviors. So you need to kind of figure out what is the, the, um, the topography, the type of behavior and what is the child getting out of it. And then often you can uh, try to, as long as you can get the child's attention onto the object or the thing that you're trying to teach, then I wouldn't worry about that too much. If the self-stimulatory behavior becomes so pervasive that you really cannot get the child to focus, that's when you need to start blocking it as much as possible, replacing it with something that's a little bit more adaptive or functional, or at bet, at you know, minimum, restricting it to a particular time. So if, uh, if a child, you know, I've had kids where like they needed, they would not be able to focus on anything else other than looking at leaves on trees. So obviously we were very, very cautious about teaching outside because <clears throat> inside it was one thing even if the child sat by a window they were distracted so we were very careful about the time that we allowed that behavior to occur and um in order and honestly shannon in order to maintain a low rate of that need 
for the self-stimulatory behavior, we have to give our child other visual tracking exercises, other visual types of stimulation that could replace that need. But at least we had it under control at this point, and therefore we could use the child's time to, to teach. But Wonderful. visual self-symmetry is hard. I would really try to get a behavior analyst to help you and guide you through that. Wonderful. I'm going to try to breeze through a bunch of questions here that we've got. Uh, the first one, how do you engage a 26-month-old in social play looking for ideas, please? I, I, the, oh. I love the comedian who does the thing about how long do we say the months for? Because I got to do the math on that. So that's yeah. somebody who's a little over two years old, 26 yeah. months, right? right? Okay. And, and that's, a, that's a wonderful age to be doing play activity. And we have tons of it in skills. I really, instead of just sitting here and naming them for you, I highly recommend that you look in skills and obviously skills is age norm. So you would put in a lot of, you would answer questions and it would identify that your child is 26 months and would help you uh, select those particular lessons in play. Um, it's a really, really good, strong curriculum, the play curriculum. I love it um, because there's not only lessons, but there's also steps of guiding you through play. Play development is very interesting. It's kind of has a process where you go age-wise, you go through sort of imitative play and then functional play and then uh, Im imaginative play and so on. And it takes you through and it shows you all of those. So, um, and, and then also it allows you to select because sometimes like, let's say the child is very much into building and that kind of play and another child might be more into uh, acting and that kind of play, you'll have a huge variety <clears throat> in skills. Okay, really quickly. Um, so skillsforautism.com and somebody wrote in and wanted to know, is this a specific name for the executive functioning curriculum? Yeah, it's the executive functioning curriculum, <laughs> which is great. You don't have to look hard. And uh, May says, do you have to be an RBT to work at CARD? I'm currently in the undergrad program to get my BCABA and applied in Texas. Uh, these uh, lives motivated me to go back to school. Oh, these live shows. Got it. Uh, my son has autism. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. Yeah. You, you do not have to be an RBT. Uh, we will get you to be an RBT if you'd like to. Our level one therapists are not RBT or BCAT, board certified autism technician. If you're thinking about becoming one or the other, I recommend you look at both and decide which one you prefer. Uh, both of them uh, are great. Um, that becomes a level two. Uh, if you get your BCABA, you become an associate supervisor, which is a much higher level. So, but you don't have to have any of those to start at CARD. We have a lot of people um, heading that way through their through their career with us. Wonderful. Absolutely. Book. Yeah. And we've only got two minutes here, but somebody wants to know, how do I get my 22-year-old son to eat a wider variety of food? He is now refusing foods he used to eat. It's not a texture issue. Yeah, so um, it absolutely does not have to be a texture issue. It's very, very possible that he ate something at some point that made him feel bad, and now he's narrowing his scope of what he trusts in food. Um, we have a lot of feeding programs that are fantastic. It's a shaping process. You basically start by requiring a very, very small portion of something that he does not want to eat. And then you allow the child to have as much of the other stuff that he does want to eat. But, and then over the course of time, you gradually increase the food items that the, the individual does not want as you decrease the ones that are reinforcers. So you basically balance it out so that the, it ends up being an equal amount of kind of non-preferred and preferred foods, but it is a shaping procedure uh, I'm not sure if it's, I, I'm sure there's training on feeding on IBT, Institute for Behavior Training. Um, I don't know if our entire feeding curriculum is on skills. I'm not sure about that, but um, uh, you know, any, any good BCBA should be able to guide you through a feeding program. 
Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're here at the last minute, so I want to take just a second here to thank Dr. Grampiche and talk a little bit about uh, the rest of our week here. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to have Dr. Kerry Magro, who's going to be with us. He's a self-advocate. This is a young man who was diagnosed with autism as a child and had, you know, speech deficits. His family got him the, all the right kinds of therapy, and he is now Dr. Kerry Magro, international speaker, autism advocate. So we love it when he's here. He's got, I don't know, like 14 books. I'm, I'm exaggerating only slightly published. So you want to be here to talk with Carrie Magro tomorrow. And then on Friday for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we have a filmmaker, Vena Tierro. She's an autism mom with two sons on the spectrum. She's just finishing her second documentary. The first documentary was My Tierro Boys. This one is Believing in Miracles in Spite of Autism. So uh, you're really going to want to be, the, she always brings a spirited, bone, honest conversation, Miss Tierro. So you're going to want to be there to see uh, what Vena has to say to Nancy and I. Uh, all right. We are so thrilled that you guys are here with us and keep on keeping on. I challenge you, try that telehealth and then write to me and let me know how it is. We'll, 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 I, I'm open to whatever it is that you have to say. Dr. Grampiche, thank you so much for being with thank us. You. Thank you. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.